Good morning. You're listening to UU Talk Phillips, the golden voice for the great Southwest, and this is Loafer's Glory, the hobo jungle of the mind. This morning, to ward off the noise, I have my radio on. Berlioz, Schubert, Chopin. It is not a distraction, it is a pacifier. As St. Teresa of Avila said, as she grabbed her castanets and started to dance during the hour of recreation in her unheated convent, one must do something to make life bearable. This is me, you, Utah Phillips, uh, and Steve Baker, who's again twisting the knobs, the music of the Boersdorfs, um, uh, that intermission music that uh, Jimmy put together with the railroad sounds, just especially for this program. The words that I opened with were from Dorothy Day. You'll hear more about her in a moment. We're in Nevada City, up here in the foothills of the Sierra. Nevada City is the little town that could. Don't ask me what good bad, indifferent. It's the little town that could, can, and all too often does. Well, I did a stupid thing this morning. I was going to start out with a a song for my mother, but I left the CD and the CD player at home without putting it back in the jacket after I'd listened to it, and now Cuddy's run home to try to find it. And uh, it's the City Your Pants radio, folks. Um... We'll start out with Dorothy Day. Uh, we're just, we've just finished up Women's Month. Now, I had a choice. I could do a program of women's music, uh, Cheryl Wheeler, uh, people I might really admire, uh, Dara Williams, or I could do a program of, of great heroines like Mother Jones and Elizabeth Gurley Flynn, Margaret Sanger, and so on. I decided that what I wanted to do, um, the voices I heard in my own head were powerful women who had uh, touched my life, whom I had known. And Dorothy Day was certainly one of those. Uh, Dorothy understood and wrote eloquently about the notion that in a shooting war, there are casualties, and that those casualties are taken to aid stations, uh, uh, Red Cross tents, or what have you. That in a class war, a war between rich and poor, there are also casualties, and they fetch up on the skids in the alleys in the doorways, and they head toward the missions to get the coffee and coffee and a donut, and a place to flop in out of the cold. Dorothy Day, Catholic, anarchist, pacifist. She, uh, at the instigation of Peter Murin, started the Catholic Worker Movement in the 1930s. Houses of hospitality all over the country where people who were down and out, floaters and boaters, could, could drift in and be cared for, not as clients. The Catholic Worker Houses are the homes in which the Catholic workers live, and they invite people into their homes. That was the whole idea to begin with. It didn't take very long for people walking into those houses of hospitality in a, in a Christie Street, Dorothy Day's first one in New York City, to realize that the people who live there were living on less than the people who walked in off the street, but that they were living radiantly, doing the works of mercy. Dorothy Day, 
Well, they want to make her into a saint now, I understand. I've heard it over the radio. They want to make Saint Dorothy. It's an idea which would have been abhorrent to her. I can't understand the logic in it. I was talking to Jenny Nelson up at Sisters of the Road, the kind of Catholic worker cafe up there in in, uh, Portland, down on the skids. And, uh, yeah, we decided that that Dorothy Day's... um, Dorothy Day's life was a miracle. You, know, you got to have so many miracles that are certified to become a saint. Dorothy Day's life was a miracle, but it was made up of smaller miracles. And those smaller miracles were the people that walked through the door and gave her their lives, their suffering, um, their nobility, their failure. And out of those smaller miracles, the, the miracle of Dorothy Day's life was constructed. Well, now, here's a young woman that, that Dorothy Day, I think, would have really loved, would have hit it off fine with, Ani DeFranco. So for Dorothy, let's do Ani DeFranco's Coming Up. Sweet and swivels to gaze down at the city he made me in. He allows me to stand and solicit graffiti until he needs the land I stand on. And I in my darkened threshold and pawing through my pockets the receipts, the bus schedules, the urgent napkin poems, and matchbook phone numbers, all of which laundering is rendered pulpy and strange, loose change in a key. Ask me. Go ahead. I wrote it down somewhere I just gotta find it And somebody in their spray paint got too close Somebody came on too heavy Now look at me met ugly by the drooling letters I was better off alone Ain't that the way it is They don't know the first thing But you don't know that Till they take the first swing My fingers are red and swollen From the cold I'm getting bold In my old age So go ahead Try the door It doesn't matter anymore Carded a strong will are we being kept alive until we're killed. He's up there. The, the ice is clinking in his glass. He sends us little pieces of paper. I don't ask. I just empty my pockets and wait. It's not fate. It's just a circumstance. I don't fool myself with romance. I just live phone number to phone number, dusting them against my thighs and the mark of my pockets, which whisper history incessantly, asking me, where were you? I lower my eyes, wishing I could cry more and care less. Yes, it's true. I was trying to love someone again. I was caught carrying, bearing weight, but I love this city, this state, this country is too large and who's ever in charge of there better take the elevator down and put more than change in our cup or else we are coming up. Oh yeah, Honey DeFranco coming up. That uh, that song, by the way, is part of a, of a whole song cycle that was put out by the uh, Silver Wolf Homeless Project and John Gorka and and Ani, uh, Stark, Raving Chandler, John McCutcheon all contributed songs to that. It's a dandy. Ani's a good poet. Well, when I 
I, I, I first met Dorothy Day when, when uh, I left Salt Lake City um, with no prospects, 70 bucks in my pocket and, uh, and an old VW bus, and I headed across the continent. Um, I had been told that I should try to become a folk singer, try to become a storyteller, and the whole idea seemed absurd. Nonetheless, I had run out of moves in Utah, and I had to move on. And the first person that I talked to when I hit New York City was uh, I went to take Ammon Hennessy, the fellow who ran the Catholic Worker House in Salt Lake. I came, came to take his regards to Dorothy Day, whom, uh, whom he loved very much, and she him. She asked me uh, during uh, that first conversation what I was there for, and I didn't quite know. I said I was going to try to sing some songs and sell some songs and, and make a living uh, as a tale teller and a song maker. And she said only one thing to me as I departed. She said, remember, fame destroys the house of the soul. And those are words to, <laughs> words to live by, let me tell you. Uh, I headed from New York City up up the Ad Northway, the Adirondack Northway to Saratoga Springs, New York. Saratoga Springs was a melting pot, a boiling mass of of late folk music commercial revival aficionados. How's that for a sentence? Uh, banjo players, fiddle players, singers, and and uh, all an enormous number of people hanging down on the street singing songs and and. Uh, it just um, a, a very loving and very supportive community. That's why I first tried to organize uh, traveling musicians into uh, a cooperative. It was called Wildflowers. That was the, the first time that had been tried in our time. The place that I, that I stayed, of course, when I first got there was uh, with, with uh, Lena Spencer, but there were two elderly women that lived there by the name of Harriet and Dorothea Brownell. And they always had a room for me in their house up on Circular Street. On my wall at home here, I have a picture uh, taken at night of Dorothea and Harriet uh, at midnight on Midsummer's Eve, sitting with between them a night-blooming cirrus, which I believe blooms only once every ten years, and it bloomed on Midsummer's Eve, St. John's Eve. They thought the incident was so extraordinary they called in Eric the Red, a photographer to come and take a picture of them. That's the only picture that's ever been taken of them uh, that I know of that they would that they would really permit. Dorothea was an antiquarian. They're both antiquarians of the first water. They simply knew things. They they knew the the, the rhythms and the changes of the season day by day. They knew all the saints' days. Um, they celebrated. It took every occasion for celebration. Their whole life was a celebration. And the house, these were very elderly women, but there were always a lot of young people around. And, and the, when the SPAC, the Saratoga Performing Arts Center, would come in, the, the ballets, the, the ballerinas and, the, and the, the high jumpers, they'd come in and there'd be flowing conversation on the porch overlooking the garden. Harriet was a well-published poet in her day, uh, published uh, by Ross from The New Yorker, although she couldn't um, stand the notoriety, and that's why she retired to, uh, to Saratoga to keep the house while Dorothea worked for social services until her retirement. These women had an, an enormous impact on my life in their quietness, in their intelligence. They slowed me down. They're the only people I've ever known who slept 
in the beds where they were born. Harriet particularly loved the old sentimental songs uh, from the 19th century, which I would, with my guitar, sit in the parlor and sing to them. Let's listen to one of those from the Hutchinson family singers, singing family from up New England, the cot where I was born. We stood upon the mountain height and viewed the valleys o'er the sun's last rays with mellow light illumined the distant shore we gazed with rapture on the scene where first in youth's bright morn we played where near us stood serene the cot where we were born twas there that first our mother's smile lit up our hearts with joy that smile can yet our cares beguile as when a prattling boy though changes many we have seen since childhood's sunny morn yet deep in memory It's an affecting little song, isn't it? Of course, when I first hit Saratoga without a penny in my pocket, it was Lena that took me and took all of us in. She ran the Cafe Lena, the oldest operating, continuously operating coffee house uh, in the United States. A little place upstairs, dirt packed into the corners. I mean, it wasn't unsanitary, just dirty. Uh, I remember when after she passed away, I went back there. The cafe was being run by a co-op then. It was so brightly painted and all cleaned up. I went over to the park and grabbed a couple handfuls of dirt and went up there and packed it into the corners, places where they wouldn't look, uh, just so I would feel more at home. Uh, Lena gave me a place to sleep in her apartment. So many of us, I slept under a table on a pallet. There were dust devils under that table the size of small sheep. I was always afraid they were going to attack me. Um, it was untidy, unruly, but then all of Lena's energy went into the performers, went into the, to the swirling mass of musicians around her, and she cared for us. She fed us. Not just at holidays. There was no, no reason to go hungry while Lena Spencer was around. And oh, by the way, she taught me about the booking, about the stage, the things that I needed to know to, over the past 30 years, uh, get through the world with some elan, uh, some panache, and not to mention a, a fair amount of ability that I owe to her. Every year, Lena did a benefit for the uh, child daycare center there in Saratoga. She did it across the street, across Phyla Street in the park at Canfield's Casino. I have uh, fallen into my hands one of those field recordings. This, it turns out, was recorded from the audience at one of those benefits in 1973, early on in my career. Uh, and and uh, the, the tape was sent along to me through the mail of uh, Rosalie, uh, pardon me, of, of Lena Spencer introducing me 
and then me doing the Cannonball Blues, and that was back when I could still finger-pick the guitar. Uh, well, let's listen to that, 1973, Café Lena. I guess there can be no doubt in anybody's mind as to Frank's, Frank Wakefield's many talents. When I was introducing Rosalie Sorrells, I said that one of the things that Rosalie was noted for was the fact that she had been most influential, almost single-handed she did it, in creating a living, le living legend, Utah Phillips, the golden voice of the great Southwest. For many years, Rosalie went around the country singing Utah Phillips songs, and Utah Phillips never appeared. And a lot of the people who heard these songs and who heard Rosalie telling all of these outrageous stories about Utah Phillips were absolutely convinced that Utah Phillips was indeed a figment of Rosalie Sorrell's imagination. And this went on for quite a number of years, and then suddenly Utah Phillips materialized. And, uh, and, uh, and indeed, uh, and indeed, <laughs> proved to everybody that yes, Virginia, there is a golden voice of the great Southwest. <laughs> Utah Phillips, the golden voice of the great Southwest. You have to thank the good Lord for things like the daycare center. Of course, you should have seen it when he was trying to do it alone. Is that about right? And it sure is good to see my old friend Frank Wakefield back on the stage after a long illness. People were getting sick of him. daycare center, you know, little kids, I want to sing some kids' songs. Now, I was just having breakfast over at uh, Phil Weiss's place, and his little kid was behind the counter, earning tips and washing dishes, and he was off the streets, he wasn't out stealing hubcaps and car stereos. That's my idea of a daycare center. Let's send all the kids in town to Phil Weiss's so they can... Turning on his train. Don't you see that train a coming? Beyond around the bend. Carry me away well I ain't coming back again. Goodbye, babe. My blue-eyed babe.
been around to about 40 different cities in the past six months. And I've managed to witness myself firsthand the consequences of poor child daycare. People really get weird. I was over there in um, Notre Dame University. A lot of high class people there wear suits and ties. Only people that I know who wear suits and ties are Mormon missionaries. I was in the bathroom there relieving myself. There was this guy with a suit and tie. And I went to leave. He was over washing his hands in the sink. He said, with a curl on his lip, as I was walking out, he said, you know, here in Notre Dame, they teach us to wash our hands after we go to the bathroom. I said, yeah, out in Utah, they teach us not to piss on our hands. <laughs> A good daycare center could have taken care of that problem right away. Hey, my baby left me, even took my shoes. That's enough to give a man them low-down worried blues. Baby's gone, solid gone. I'm a going up north, I'm going up north this fall. If my luck don't change, I ain't coming back at all. Goodbye, babe, my blue-eyed babe. That's pretty damn spooky, you know, 27 years ago to look back toward the uh, beginning of that long, long tunnel. But, uh, yeah, Lena, that's for so many of us uh, springboarded from to spread out uh, across the, the country like spores, sowing folk music as we went. You mentioned Rosalie there. Rosalie was on that bill. Of course, Rosalie was the main reason I was in Saratoga to begin with, and she was the one that convinced me to when I had to leave Utah, to, to try to make a living singing songs and telling stories. Rosalie had left some time before a difficult, problematic life that she was living in Salt Lake, at the same time responsible for, for bringing folk music to, to Salt Lake, to Utah for the first time. And, but then she had to leave, and she hit the road with five kids stuffed into a car and set out to make a living on the road, coast to coast, with five young children. It was heroic. It was pure folly. It was very painful, and by God, she did it. And along the way, she took songs that I had sung to her in her living room um, just for the singing of them, and she began to sing them around the country, just like Lena said. So when I finally showed up in the East... The, uh, the ground had already been sown somewhat. It was a lot easier for me to start out because of Rosalie than it was uh, just somebody coming in cold. Yeah, I guess I owe Rosalie a, a whole new life, which is to say she plugged me into that whole enormous folk music family that goes coast to coast and all over Canada where everybody knows each other, and they behave like a family, good, bad, and indifferent. They behave like a family. And... It also it steered me into a trade where what had happened to me in Utah never had to happen again, where I would never have to take a boss, never have to have a master, but that the people I was working with, town for town, who were, took responsibility for having folk music in their community, I was partners with them in that effort. 
One of Rosalie's great ambitions, one of her great friends, was Malvina Reynolds, and she always wanted to record a record of Malvina's songs. Well, Red House Records finally let her do that, and they just sent me um, the uh, the pre-release copy uh, of that. She did it with Nina Gerber and other wonderful people down there in Richmond. Uh, Malvina, of course, uh, lived up into her late 70s and, and wrote all the time great songs. She was a good red, Malvina was, and a and sharp tongue, uh, nonetheless full of joy. Let's listen to one of the one of the uh, uh, songs from that record. Um, it's Rosalie Sorrells and Terry Garthwaite singing, and then uh, Rosalie reciting a poem about Malvina from Jane Voss. Here's the magic penny. song of yours went through my mind. I sang to myself, missed you suddenly with such intensity I must have conjured you, for here you were, out of the blue, squinting into memory's eye, smiling like the sun, voice crackling with kindness, white hair a corona, raging, fierce as ever. The aura of you so strong, I felt warmed in that old, familiar glow. So many years dead. Can it be true? Yet you, who had no truck with mystical stuff, came back to me all the same. No Ouija board, no medium's trance, none of this rapping on the table business for you. You made yourself known by a neat trick of your own, a handmade song that sticks in the head and circulates in the heart, durable as a penny passed hand to hand, its value expanding like magic. It's just like a magic penny Hold it too tight and you won't get any But lend it and spend it all You'll have so many The roll, roll, roll with a floor Love is something if you give it away You give it away, you give it away Love is something if you give it away You'll end up having more Now money's dandy if you know how to use it But love is better if 
you don't refuse it It's a treasure and you'll never lose it Unless you lock up your door For love is something if you give it away You give it away, give it away Love is something if you give it away You'll end up having more So let's go dance till the break of day a piper baby will pay love is something if you give it away you end up having more oh you'll end up having more you'll end up having more more you'll end up having more let's have a little bit more let's have a little bit Rosalie is so pleased to have gotten that done. That's uh, a wonderful a tribute album to um, a very, very powerful woman. Malvina Reynolds, she was born in 1900. She told me once that one of her earliest childhood recollections was walking out a second-story window onto the street. Why? Because the building had sunk that far. She was during the San Francisco earthquake. To remember that, she remembered it all. Malvina didn't start making up songs until after she was 50 years old. But then she made up hard-hitting songs for hard-hit people. And she was the kind of person who could make up a song. She could find a newspaper article or hear a story 10 minutes before going on the stage, make up a song and walk on the stage and sing it. Uh, she was that quick. Her mind was that quick and that agile all the way up into her advancing years. I mean, she was doing this. We'd run into airports, crossing trails all across the country or train stations, and uh, she was always on the road, busy doing the people's work. Um, here's a, uh, there was a, there's a, a Bread and Roses benefit that takes place in San Francisco every year um, where Mimi Farina and others, it's her organization, raise money to be able to send musicians into prisons and hospitals, convalescent homes, and so on. Malvina Reynolds appeared at one of those. Now, here she was in her early 70s, and um, she had taken a newspaper article that had, that had uh, uh, come to her casually and fashioned a song and walked on the stage and sang it. Uh, we'll let her tell the story and uh, her song, The Little Mouse. People ask me where I find the ideas for my songs, and I always say, if I knew, I'd go there every day. The San Francisco Chronicle is not too bad. I've gotten a couple of songs from that book. <laughs> okay. About a year ago, I guess it was, there was this little bitty item, but it was on the front page in heavy type, and it was about a, a situation that seemed to strike someone's fancy because they featured it. I thought it was worth a little song, so I wrote a little song about it. 
A little mouse got into the wires At the central clearinghouse in Buenos Aires One little mouse Short-circuited the computers Says a press dispatch from Reuters So he took the bank to court, and they gave him an award of $150,000. The bank appealed, and on due consideration, the higher court doubled the compensation. <laughs> there is justice sometimes. <laughs> so if a computer does it to you, you can sue or chew the wires through. <laughs> A little mouse got into the wires at the central clearinghouse in Buenos Aires. One little mouse short-circuited the computers, says a press dispatch from Reuters. They run the world of banks and airplanes And if one little mouse can set them all wrong Why not you and I? back again. Yes, that was Malvina Reynolds and Little Mouse. I know that there's some bad language in that song, but I am not about to tell a woman, a fighting woman in her 70s with the proper use of language. Uh, all right. Uh, folk music family across the country uh, slept on Lena's floor, slept on floors all over the United States. Lena, or uh, Faith Petrick out in California always had beds. She had a basement that was like a, 
a small rooming house. It's the same sort of thing, a town full of largely indigent musicians trying to uh, scuffle a living. Um, and they would fall by Faith's house. Of course, Faith was the founder. It's uh, been going now for over 30 years, I guess, the San Francisco Folk Music Club. People who meet, get together, just share music and share food and share each other's company. They've been doing it year after year after year. Put on their own little festival. Put on their own campouts and cookouts and just share social time together. Uh, it's a great and a holy act. Faith Petrick has been the mainspring of that for many, many years. Faith's the kind of woman, when she retired... She uh, traveled around the world by thumb and by bus and uh, kind of uh, just over the belly of continent after continent. Uh, a woman of great enterprise. Faith is in her 80s now and just came back from a tour of Australian folk festivals where she slew them, laid them in the aisles. Let's listen to, to Faith, a, a, a new record that Faith made called Faith's Favorites. And um, this is a Tom Hunter song and one of my favorites called Rock Me to Sleep. All I can hear are the crickets And the whistle of some lonely fray I've been working so hard to make everything right But for now, it'll just have to wait Cause tonight, I'd like you to rock me to sleep and I'd like you to sing me a song I'm tired of trying to figure things out And I'm tired of being so strong I've never been too good at asking I'm more apt to go it alone And it's strange how a lot of us think something's wrong if we can't do it all on our own But tonight I'd like you to rock me to sleep And I'd like you to sing me a song I'm tired of trying to figure things out And I'm tired of being so strong Patrick, the model of a folk singer 
I've I've argued this one before. Faith, Faith Petrick is one of the great folk singers I ever met. Faith doesn't write songs. She's a great song finder. She cruises the country, all of North America, wherever she is, she listens to new songs, she listens to old songs, and she soaks them up into that prodigious great mind of hers. They call her the Fort Knox of folk music. You ask for any kind of song, and Faith Petrick is going to be able to sing it. And she's hung on to a lot of songs that are of value to us that would have otherwise sunk like a stone, but for her. Kate Wolf now, she wrote songs. Kate Wolf wrote those songs with those those melodies and those words which stand the best chance of sinking into the tradition, songs that stand the best chance of being found a hundred years from now and revived and sung by then people like Faith Petrick. Kate and I traveled many, many long miles together. I first met her in the stairwell at Fort Cronkite at one of those San Francisco Folk Music Club gatherings it was over there in the Bay Area. And uh, Kate had been singing some of my songs, and, and she stopped me there, standing in the stairwell, and said, uh, do you have any more songs? And, and I had a notebook that I carried around with just uh, litter in it, and fragments of songs and ideas, and some whole ones that uh, didn't have tunes to them. She borrowed that book, and then she went through it, took a song out, and put a tune to it, and got on the stage that night and sang the damn thing. It was the worst song I ever wrote. I don't know why she picked that. It was mildly amusing, and I wouldn't consider playing it for you at this juncture. No, Kate Kate had a problematical and in many ways very difficult life. You wouldn't know it to stand and talk with her, huh? Uh, but she could reach in to the middle of her sorrow, reach into the middle of her distress and fetch out songs of great beauty, of great compassion, and sometimes a, a quiet joy, a joy she was a joy to be around. And generous, she paid attention to so many people. Um, I was trying to fix up the house I lived in in Spokane. I couldn't afford very much, couldn't afford to, to put uh, uh, flooring uh, in, in the bathroom. And um, and when Kay would come up there to stay, uh, she her feet got colder. She had to get up at night and go to the bathroom. So one time after she left, about a week later, come this check for $300 in the mail and said, this is to fix your bathroom floor so that I don't have to freeze my feet when I come and visit again. Friend of mine. Let's listen to that. Kate Wolf's friend of mine. <laughs> So easy 
That's Kate Wolf. Hmm. Passed away from uh, from leukemia, uh, oh, quite a long time ago. I mentioned earlier here uh, uh, talking to Jenny Nelson on the phone. Uh, Jenny is recovering from um, some some serious heart ailments. She's dealt with some physical ailments all of her life, but uh, with great great courage and uh, great energy. There's a cafe up there in Portland called Sisters of the Road. It's where people can come and get inexpensive food or they can work out what it is that, the, that they eat. And very often the people who come in the door wind up uh, managing the kitchen or managing the whole place. It's, um, it's not a place where you're going to get preached at. It's a place where you're going to get fed. At, that is the work of mercy. It's also a completely nonviolent place. People who are behaving in a belligerent way are asked to leave, but it's a place where, where big, tough men who've got a beef and who act it out all the time on the street can come in and gradually learn that they can drop that, they can slough off that facade and relax into the warmth uh, and the magic of, of what's going on around them. Pretty good food, too. Uh, anybody 
can go out and, and scrounge food. You can go to the grocery stores. You can go to the loading docks where the produce trucks come in. Anybody can go out and get uh, used clothing, set up used clothing barrels at the churches for uh, donations. But where do you get the moral and spiritual economy to do that day after day, month after month, year after year? That's an extraordinary kind of compassion, isn't it? And Jenny Nelson has that. Sisters of the Row, yes, but also not just dealing with the works of mercy, but in order to be able to do it, dealing with multiple layers of welfare bureaucracy. Um, and at the same time, raise wonderful kids. And at the same time, help start a coffee house where local performers can, uh, can sing. People off the street can go sing and do poetry to help start a micropower radio broadcasting station so that you can send people to the appropriate resources, the ones that they need and can use. Well, I, say I talked to, to Jenny Nelson on the phone and said, I'm going to talk about you. What would you like me to play? And um, really, without hesitation, she said, the Sweet Honey and the Rock uh, are a great source of inspiration to me. So let's listen to one of those, Ought to Be a Woman. Washing the floors to send you to college. Staying at home so you can feel safe. What do you think is the soul of the knowledge? What do you think that makes her feel safe? Biting her lips and lowering her eyes to make sure there's food on the table. If the world was as willing as she's able Hugging herself in an old kitchen chair She listens to your hurt and your rage What do you think she knows of despair? What is the Yeah. 
Ought to be a woman, sweet honey in the rock. Well, we're coming to the end of this. My contribution to Women's Month, a little bit belated, I'll admit. My wife, Joanna Robinson, and I met under, both of us, very strained circumstances, uh, both coming from very difficult situations. In mine, I was in danger of vanishing in so many ways, artistically and uh, physically vanishing. Um, I suppose it would be a little extreme to say that uh, she rescued me. I think we, in a way, rescued each other. Now, the women that I've been talking about and the, the music I've been playing about, about very challenging um, women. The most challenging person you're going to meet is the one that, you, that, you, um, that you're living with day in and day out. And believe me, I can't imagine a better challenge to my life than living with Joanna Robinson. Why don't we finish up with a poem? I, I talked to her about it. I said, Joanna, I'm going to talk about you here. Uh, do you want me to play a song that you like? Do you want to play a poem that you like? Would you like to read some? She went up to Marmel Bog Hall, which is a little place she has of her own to do her writing and work with the computer. She sat down and wrote a poem. And that's what we're going to hear now, a poem in early spring. Your death this early spring is sorry prelude to the life so soon to come. You should have died in autumn when all the life was done. Yet why not, like faithful Hindu, believe you will return? May not this snowbell on the hoary ground be you come back to find me? May not one rose upon the vine this spring be you blooming at my window? Do not the pale blue forget-me-nots remind me of your eyes. Do I pass you by unseeing, and you without a voice? This gentle violet at my feet, I almost hear it whisper. Will not some sun or star that shone upon us once remember and reveal to me you as you now are? What then, to watch you die again? No, I, who basked in flowers and cherished every leaf, am pained by every sign of spring and wintered in with grief. Thanks for taking this journey with me. This has been you, Utah Phillips. You've been listening to Loafer's Glory, the hobo jungle of the mind. From Marge Piercy. How do we know where we are going? How do we know where we are headed till... We, in fact, or hope or hunch, arrive. You can only criticize the comfortable say. You don't know what you want. 
Ah, but we do.